Hello and welcome again everybody. We're going to be going over the June 20th the encounter lesson. That's going to be Psalm 112 and that's going to be the results of wisdom is what we're going to talk about. But before we do that, I wanted to share with you a resource that you might not know about or the resources that are on this page that you might like. If you'll look here, we've got the cpcmc.org forward slash shop. This is the uh, website for the uh, resource center that we have. Uh, when you go there, you'll see that you got it broke down here in some different categories. Uh, I wanted to show you some of the special sales we have going on. You got a $5 and under bin book, book bin box that you can look under, but then we also have all of these cool little t-shirts. And I think everybody needs a Have You Hugged a Cumberland Presbyterian shirt. You uh, cannot get any better than that. You can also find some, some older things uh, like the CPYC shirts from years ago. Um, you can find more curriculum. I wanted to highlight this, CP curriculum. So you got the Encounter, Faith Out Loud, Intersections. If you've never tried Intersections, that's a really good study. We got the new youth curriculum, which is STIR. That can be used in a lot of different ways if you're looking for VBS resources. And then other resources that we put out as a denomination, Faith Out Louds, uh, are very good. Uh, they've been selling now for for a couple years. Intersections is a older uh, resource, but I've been um, recommending that to college-age students. That seems to go really, really well. Of course, The Encounter, uh, you can get that. Uh, let's see, what else we got? Uh, every month we have a monthly featured resource, and so you can go to the site and you can find these uh, different things. We got Bibles and supplemental resources. If you click on Bibles, you can see the different types of Bibles we offer through the store. Again, pretty good prices on things. So um, anytime that you're thinking about uh, trying to order resources, I know we often try to go through Amazon or whatever else, but a lot of times we can beat Amazon. Sometimes we can't, but we do have these resources available at cpcmc.org forward slash shop. So um, buy your uh, magazine hymnals. We also have, um, right now we have in stock the uh, pre or you know the packaged um, communion sets and they're the ones that the bread's on the bottom so you don't you know splash grape juice all over yourself but anyway I wanted to let you know about that resource um, it's one that you might find some stuff that you didn't know you needed so make sure you check that out so again this is for June 20th it's gonna be Psalm 112 and that is the results of wisdom uh, let's start with our prayer for illumination God most wise, we call out for wisdom today. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth in the study of your word. Give our mouths grace as we speak to one another. Open our hearts to receive one another's responses during our time of study. Amen. The memory verse comes from Psalm 112, verse 6. For the righteous will never be moved. They will be remembered forever. And then our highlighted discussion question for the week is share a time when you were blessed by being a blessing to others and try to go beyond simply saying uh, it made me feel good. All right. So in the introduction of the lesson, Dr. Qualls gives us another, um, another personal uh, illustration. He was in class with uh, Dr. Eugene Peterson. You know his work probably mostly through the message um, trans or transliteration paraphrase, whatever you want to call it, uh, but uh, Dr. Peterson is a storyteller. He's got a lot of books out. If you're looking for pastoral resources and edification, make sure you check out Dr. Eugene Peterson. But uh, what 
Dr. Qualls was bringing up is is that uh, the Psalms, like a lot of the way that Dr. Qualls writes, is by story. It's by metaphor. It's by pictures. And so through those pictures and metaphors, um, we can see deeper than maybe if someone is just simply exegeting a text or preaching at us. The, the Psalms have awesome pictures. Uh, the things like, He leadeth me beside still waters, He restoreth my soul. Or uh, when nature is is uh, used as um, as elements of praise. It's just, it paints pictures that are uh, very, they make you think more than just being told something. Um, one of the people that I was interested in when I was younger was a guy named Chris Christopher Hitchens, and he was an atheist, I'll say an atheist apologist, if you will, and um, I liked to listen to him because, uh, number one, he was pretty good uh, in in his defense of atheism, and he was very interesting. He was also a journalist, so I read a lot of his stories. About four years ago, I found out that he had a brother over in England named Peter Hitchens, and Peter Hitchens is a uh, the exact opposite of Christopher Hitchens in many ways. Um, he's a journalist as well, as Christopher was, but he is a pretty adamant Christian, a conservative Christian nonetheless. Um, but he talked about his conversion story, and he said really the start of his conversion could be kind of traced to him going to a museum and seeing the picture of what's called the Last Judgment. And I'll show you that picture by Vanderweeden. Um, I'll bring up a image of it. Let's see here. I'll go over here now. So this is a picture that he went to this museum over in Europe to see, and he said the thing that noticed him were these figures who were pleading, um, and he said especially these in the judgment, if you, can, if you can see this. He said the thing that struck him the most was that the people who were banished to hell didn't look like the saints and didn't look like these people up here, but these people looked like him, you know, that bushy hair and young body, you know, and, and so he said, this could be me. And he said, no, while it wasn't a, um, it wasn't a spur of the moment conversion, it just started him thinking of what happens if he died when his body was no longer young and when he stood before death, if there was a judgment, what would happen to him? And in a sense, this is what the Psalms do uh, when they describe a righteous life or the way of the wicked or the way of death and these kinds of things they, they're not meant to have a gotcha moment they're meant to get in your mind and almost like a what do you call a thought worm just stay in there and and so that's how we, we see the Psalms uh, they they cast a vision of goodness and the hope is is that the vision of goodness overrides any vision of of worldly living that leads to death that the goodness of God, the goodness of creation, the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you will, even in the Psalms, uh, pushes us toward the good and a, and a life of wisdom. So that's his introduction. Uh, the historical setting, um, the Hebrew religion understood the divine differently from the other cultures around them at the time. In the various ancient religions and mythologies, the gods weren't always particularly concerned with the human affairs nor were they benevolent toward humankind. So you take like the 
understanding of Yahweh as opposed to maybe an understanding that the Egyptians had of some of their deities and and of uh, Moloch, which was a god back in the times of, of the Hebrews that required human sacrifice and things like that. So one of the settings that we have to take note of is that Yahweh is different than the other gods and, and the Psalms portray God not as someone who needs to satiate divine justice or anger, but one who invites the creature to live in a life uh, that is good with the Creator. And so that's pretty important there. Psalm 111 uh, is a Hebrew hymn that extols the character of a virtuous God. Among the many contributions of the Hebrew religion, this is a noteworthy distinction. Since we now know that Psalm 112 is a twin of Psalm 111, uh, we see the mirroring of God's attributes in the life of the God of fear. So in Psalm 111, you hear the virtuous, uh, the virtues of God. In Psalm 112, you hear the virtues of the bearer of the divine image, humans, when they live correct. Uh, we see how God is virtuous, humanity is supposed to be virtuous, and then we see the, the benefits of that virtue. And Dr. Qualls, writes, in the lesson regarding the connection of Psalm 112 to 111, Charles Spurgeon wrote, it bears the same relation to the preceding, which the moon does, to the sun. For while the first declares the glory of God, the second speaks of the reflection of the divine brightness in human beings born from above. That is what a life of devotion should look like. We reflect the image of God. So Psalm 111 and Psalm 112 uh, can be read together. Ultimately, it's a wowing vision of God, not found in other cultures or religions of that time, that inform our lives' response to God. And it's a life of praise. It manifests itself in how we act toward the rest of humanity and how we react uh, before God. The vision in the Psalms is powerful enough to keep us from wanting to walk in the ways of ignorance. And the benefits for walking in wisdom far outweigh the consequences of walking in foolishness. That's what we got in the historical setting. In the comparing the scripture uh, section, uh, we understand that the theology of a blessed life that runs throughout the Bible goes from the very beginning to the very end, right? So like it's not as though that the Old Testament has a version of what it means to live a blessed and, and righteous life and a wise life, and the New Testament has something different. But instead it runs all the way through, and it's consistent that a Righteous life and a life of wisdom results in blessedness. And Dr. Qualls references Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 through 11, and I want to read that. If there is among you anyone in need, a member of your community, in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand, willingly lead enough willingly lend enough, lending enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. Be careful that you do not entertain a mean thought, thinking, the seventh year, the year of remission is near, and therefore view your needy neighbor with hostility and give nothing. Your neighbor might cry out to the Lord against you, and you would incur guilt. Give liberally, and be un, ungrudging when you do so, for on this account the Lord your God will bless you in all your work, and in all that you undertake. Since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy and to the needy neighbor in your land. So what Psalm 112 does is part of the righteous life or part of the wise life or the blessed life 
is to give open-handedly, not closed-fistedly. I like that picture. But the verbiage there in Deuteronomy chapter 15 harkens back to the story of Exodus. Deuteronomy uses the phrase, your neighbor might cry out to the Lord against you. And you should automatically think about what uh, the book of Exodus says about the Hebrews when they were slaves in Egypt. It says, uh, God says that I heard the cries of my people against the Egyptians, right? So all of a sudden, Scripture is saying, look what you were, look what God did for you, therefore reflect the goodness of God as God gave to you, you also give to others. We remember that the Lord did not rescue the Hebrews from their cries because they had deserved it in some way. That's important. Or that the Lord would receive benefit back from the Hebrews. Scripture in the, both the Old and New Testament says that the Jews, the Hebrews, were the least of all people. And history shows they weren't the most faithful to God, to the covenant, and there was surely nothing moral in them that compelled God to rescue them. God rescued them because God is a gracious God who helps people. So as one created in the image of God, the wise person reflects God in the world and practices God-like qualities toward God's creation, whether it's the world or whether it's the people in the world. The people that I have met in ministry who were wealthy, I've been blessed to know a lot of people who have made it well in this world. Um, but they became, you know, after I talked to them, I said, well, how did you get so successful? None of them that I knew that was associated with, with the Margaret Hang Church they didn't really mean to become wealthy. That was the trick. I love talking to them. They were simply trying to be good people, to do good work, to do the best they could, to give back to their communities and so on. But what they ended up happening, either because they tried to do things well as, as a way of praising God, you know, like Paul says, do things, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it to the glory of God, whether it was because the quality of their work was so good whether it's because they were so kind that people flocked to their business, whatever it may be, they were simply successful at it. And so in some ways, they didn't mean to become wealthy. They simply meant to do good and to be wise. And that was, that's exactly, I think, what the Psalms try to tell us about a life of wisdom and blessedness. And these people that were part of the church or the people that I knew, they weren't close-fisted. They continued to be open-fisted, open-handed, if you will. They continued to be a source of blessing to not only the church, but simply to people in need anywhere and everywhere they went. And, and so I think the Lord continued to bless them in that way. Um, so in verses 1, 2, and 3, Psalm 112 says, says this, Praise the Lord. Happy or blessed are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in his commandments. Their descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their house, and their righteousness endures forever. And I think we have to be careful also as to how we define wealth in a culture that is material, materially, materially driven. Um, while we may accumulate monetary wealth, like some of those folks I knew, um, but there's, wealth can be considered in other ways as well. Just as stewardship is not simply only about your money, neither is blessing only about material blessing. There's all kinds of things that we're blessed with, family health and so on and so forth. And, and contentment is quite a good blessing that uh, many people in our culture uh, don't apprehend. And then that leads us then to the learning, uh, learning from the church section of the text. Uh, Dr. Qualls hits hits it again real well in his opening paragraph of this section. 
I'm going to read it to you. It says, The goal of a well-lived life is influence, not affluence. We must reject the pervasive notion in our culture that the purpose of life is to get and gain. The idea that blessedness, or the good life, is measured in terms of who can acquire the most. Success, not blessedness, is the guiding value in that paradigm. Dr. Qualls is saying we reject that. Surely these two things are not the same. It is not the Midas touch that we crave, where everything turns to material enrichment, but rather the Spirit's touch, which opens us up to, the experience, to experience unimaginable bounty in every experience of life. We have all described someone moving up the affluence ladder as doing well for themselves. We must not confuse this with the psalmic blessedness. The test of blessedness is not doing well for yourself, but living well and doing good. And I think that's, like, so true. Um, we get caught up in those material things, the things that we can measure success by, and sometimes we forget that maybe our blessings are in uh, other things, like the purposely choosing a different job so you can spend time with your family because you believe your family is the most important thing, these kinds of things, whatever you choose to do. Um, during my time of ministry, I came up with, I think, was a pretty good metaphor uh, when we talk about how we live life as wise people in response to the blessings of God and so on and so forth. Um, and the way I've described it or I've come accustomed to thinking about uh, a wise life is well, two different images. One is a dam, all right? So think of something like the Hoover Dam or whatever dams near your house that you've seen that pulls water and regulates the blessings um, or just a rushing waterfall. I went to uh, Yosemite Park one time and I saw this big waterfall and water just, it was a rainy season, just water rushing over it. And those are my two understandings of how we can live life as, as spiritual people. We, um, a person receives many blessings from God's and we can be like that dam and we can control the flow of those blessings from us to others. And maybe we hold most of the blessings for ourselves, I guess, because we think that we're going to run out of them. Or we can simply um, be like a waterfall, like in, in the rainy season. Water is just constantly, blessings are constantly flowing through us. And, and it's just so much that it overwhelms, um, it overwhelms the cliff and it just pours blessings down on everything uh, around it. And I think that's the way we should live our Christian life is that we're... We're not dams that are regulators of blessing, but we just open ourselves up to the to the blessings, and then they, they don't stop with us. They keep rolling through, but at the same time, it never runs out. It keeps coming on us, and it keeps, it keeps flowing to others. Blessings just continue to flow like water from a fire hydrant, man, just everywhere, and we see God's blessings in that, and I think that um, is how we understand a wise, blessed Christian life, which brings us to the highlighted discussion question for the week is share a time when you were blessed by being a blessing to others. Try to go beyond simply, it made me feel good. Um, I've been doing this for 20 minutes. I'll go ahead and tell you this story. So, I didn't get married until I was 32 years old. And I remember kind of thinking my time had passed, because when you're young, you do that kind of thing. Um, and I was always worried that like I wouldn't have heritage I wouldn't have anybody to pass things down to all of my friends at that time had started having kids and and whatever when I got married I got two kids from Amy and then also uh, we took in Marcus and Marcus kind of became my, my buddy 
and and you know we became a family and I, and I did have children in that way here's kind of the funny part I was always concerned that I wouldn't have a kid I wouldn't have somebody to to teach or, or whatever and so um, when Marcus grew up and um, graduated high school uh, he ended up choosing going to college where I went to college so I went from and we chose to take him in too this is what I'm saying we chose to be a blessing to him but the blessing came back to me in this as I was worried that I wouldn't have a heritage or I wouldn't have children or I wouldn't have um, you know people that I would pass on some legacy to um, I became the first person in my college class that had a you know a legacy student a child to attend and so I thought after thinking about that I thought man God that's a blessing like I went from barren uh, to to bearing fruit uh, all because uh, we chose my wife and I and my family chose to open up our home to someone else and that's been a meaningful thing to me so that's how I would answer that discussion question um, so anyway I'd like to hear from you um, if you want to chime in on this write it in on Facebook send me an email whatever uh, so applying the scripture section uh, Dr. Qualls gives us another good point in the section of our lesson, and it feeds off that last lesson we just talked about. He writes this, One definition of blessedness references the uncanny ability to overcome diversity again and again. In the mysterious ways of God, a blessed life is not always a preferred life. It was my joy to preach in a little cinder block building in Nanaku, a small village in Haiti. There are six Cumberland Presbyterian churches in Haiti. It has been reported that about 40% of Haitians are without real employment and that even those employed can earn an average wage of around $2 per day. Blessed might not be the first word an American's mind comes up with to describe that kind of life, but that says much more about American values than the biblical understanding. Spending a day with that joyful congregation, watching the happy children dance and sing, Joining their verses to waft praise across mountaintops would inspire King David to write an acrostic in Creole. The blessed life for Chassel George Jorge, pastor of the congregation, meant a solar panel which allowed them to hang a light bulb in the church house and furnish clean water for their community. Should they see themselves in Psalm 112? They do. Oh yes, that's a good place for a hallelujah. So our culture only thinks of blessedness through monetary standards, but the vast majority of the world doesn't and can't attain that understanding of blessedness. Instead, we see in the Psalms and in our ministries toward one another a merging of those two things in this Psalm. Those who have can share with those who don't have, and those who have can participate and be reshaped by the values of the people who understand blessedness through other means than material gains. I think that's important. Um, and it's a good good place to end, good time to end. Uh, I hope this is helpful to you in some way, shape, or form. Uh, again, uh, if there's anything I can do to facilitate the use of the encounter, uh, please let me know. See Fleming at Cumberland.org. And I may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you.